Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Uh, If you are a listener to my old podcast, The Josh Marshall Show, you may be wondering, like, you changed the name, but you barely changed the name. So that's weird. What happened there? It's a good point. It's a it's a pretty similar name, but we changed it for a very specific reason, and that is that we are doing a full reboot on this show, really launching a, a, a new podcast, a, a very different one. And here's how it'll be different. In my old podcast, it was basically an interview show where each episode I would have one person, and maybe they would have written a book or, you know, be someone really prominent in, in, in the moment in politics. And I would sit there and ask them questions about what whatever it is that they wanted to talk about. So it's definitely an interview show focused on one person each week and not really a conversation as such, not really a, a conversation at all. So with this new podcast, the Josh Marshall Podcast, pressing the brand make make sure you 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 can remember that we're doing something pretty different we are doing this is a conversation show and we are going to do interviews we're going to have people who are interesting people from the news of the day and just everything under the sun uh, join us but it's going to be a conversation show so very different and 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 one of the basic things is it's the Josh Marshall podcast, if I didn't mention that already. So presumably, you know, not everyone wants to hear what Josh Marshall has to say about everything, but presumably you're listening to the Josh Marshall podcast. You're somewhat interested. So I'll talk more, I'll give you sort of my ideas on the news of the day and not have it be that kind of, you know, dependent on an interview or focused on one person and their ideas each time. So those are the basic differences. Another two other key differences I should mention. One is that our old show, the Josh Marshall show, was partly for our subscribers only. We're getting rid of that. This podcast is available to everyone. You can find it in iTunes and like just about every other place in the universe we've been able to find that we can upload it to make it possible for you to subscribe to it. And here's one thing that's really important. Subscribe to it. We really need you to subscribe to it. It is so awesome. And let's be honest. You can subscribe to it and then still never listen to it if it sucks. So you have to listen to this episode. But if you decide that this episode is lame, just subscribe to it anyway because that helps us. That helps us kind of get the word out about the show. And if it sucks now, it may even get better. But the key is subscribe. And also, here's another important thing. Rate us really high on iTunes. Give us a really good review. Give us a good rating. Even if you, I mean, if you really hate our show, maybe it's too much. You can't do that. But even if you're kind of, you know, uh, I'm not really sure, give us a great reading. Again, rating. Again, that really helps us. It helps us get out the word. We want to do great things with this podcast, and we think that we will. So these are all the things that distinguish the Josh Marshall Show from the new Josh Marshall podcast. One additional thing is, in the old show, we did a show kind of every week or every two weeks or sometimes went three weeks. 
This is going to be a very different uh, venture. The debut episode, this one, uh, drops on Wednesday. But going forward from then, it is going to be every Tuesday. Every Tuesday, we will have a new episode. Once in a blue moon, we might have a special edition, another one that will come out kind of between the two episodes. But Tuesday from now on until the rest of your natural life, you know there is a new Josh Marshall podcast. Almost, I almost, almost lost it there for a second. So one thing I want to do is I want to introduce you to uh, my partner on this podcast, whose name is uh, David Tainter. David, say hello. Hey, Josh. How's it going? It's going great. We're here on the first episode of the Josh Marshall podcast, and I'm, I'm introducing you. Well, first of all, so you are an editor here at TPM. You're also uh, my co-host here on the Josh Marshall podcast, but you're also sort of a a revered elder in the TPM world. You started, well, you tell the story. Yeah, that's, well, that's nice of you to say, first of all. Thanks for welcoming me. Yeah, I started at TPM as an intern. This was my first gig right after college. So I came to the office, the site, in August of 2010. This was right before the midterm elections of... Uh, Turned out to be, we won't blame yeah. you for that. It was not a good midterm election, <laughs> not a but great, whatever, whatever. Exactly, but um, yeah, it was... A it was a good time to be a TPM uh, at any rate. That was like, you know, the elections of, you know, it was Rand Paul and the Aqua Buddha. It was Sharon Angle. It was the demon sheep. It was like the year of the crazy. Do you remember the chicken thing? The Wait, chicken bartering? That? Oh, that was, was that the immigration. Related no, ad? no, 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 no. That was the thing where. OK, so Sharon Angle, Harry Reid ended up running against Sharon Angle, right. which he wanted to do. And there was this other woman uh. whose name escapes me who was sort of like the mainstream candidate who really was mm. a threat to read and, and mm -hmm. all, you know, and quite possibly would have beaten him. And there was this, so you, you got to remember, this is after Obamacare has passed, but before mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's been implemented. Right. The implementation is still into the future. But healthcare was a big, big, you know, this is the sort of the Tea Party anti-Obamacare yeah, exactly. yep. year. And somehow or another, she gets into this, uh, conversation about you know in the old days it used to be so simple you mm. come to the doctor and you're just like barter like you know <laughs> like you know i Trade need a, chickens i need a mole removed and here's a few <laughs> chickens from my farm those were the good old yeah days. and it became like a meme of sort mm. of like health care for chickens and stuff <laughs> and it was just you know it's sort of a stupid thing but it was a stupid thing to say too so <laughs> right. anyway that's yeah. the 2010 yeah. election yeah so i was here for a few years i um i left uh Bopped around to a couple different places, spent the last few years at NBC News and MSNBC, and then about a year ago came back uh, to TPM. So it feels good to be to be home, so to speak. Yeah, no, when we're we're you know we couldn't be happier to have you, and this is a new venture that we are doing uh, with this with this podcast. And and one thing you know we are going to, if if you are a a reader of TPM, you know that most of what we do, most of what I write about, most of what the site re writes about, publishes, is about politics and political news. Um, but my editor's blog has never been exclusively political news. I, I write about kind of all sorts of stuff, even though politics is is the, the kind of the anchor and the things that most things come back to. But just as an example, in our second episode, we are going to have an episode about uh, about the music of Bob Dylan. Now, not just about the music of Bob Dylan in general. Uh, if you're a, a Dylan aficionado, you'll know this stuff. But the Dylan 
you know, Dylan Incorporated for the last, I don't know, God, 15, 20 years has been going through the archives of his music and coming out with these big box sets that have like outtakes and unheard song, you know, kind of, it's actually called the bootleg series. And they've been doing this forever because he's been recording music forever. And then um, a couple months ago, they came up to the point where he has he has this Christian music period that lasts from like 1979 to 1981, give or take around then. And it's some pretty weird stuff. It's some pretty weird stuff. It's not like it, it's not uh, it's it's not a really touchy feely version of Christianity and it's not a private version of Christianity. He gets you know, he he goes totally all in and becomes an evangelical Christian and it is it totally dominates his music. He stops playing all of almost 20 years of music he had had up until that point and his fans like everybody went nuts. Everybody went nuts. Like you think about all the 60s stuff mm-hmm. and peace and love and right. and 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 uh yeah, and it's after some of his most popular and sort of classic songs, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, even even to, you know, Dylan has had a basically a late career resurgence that goes back to uh, you know, depending on, um, it goes back to the very late '90s, basically. But even now, th- the great majority of the things that he is known most for happened actually happened before 1967, but certainly happened before 1979. And yeah, so everybody was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah. And it was a hugely controversial. And it was, it's, you know, tune into the show to get a sense of it. But it's, you know, it is a very confrontational and, you know, you're, there's only one way. There's only one way to heaven, and it's Jesus. And it is, it's very intense. And it really divided his fans. I'm not even trying to say it divided his fans. Like a lot of his fans just hated it. And even till today, a lot of Dylan fans still see that period. And there were three albums that made up that period. Just see that period as just crap. And just like an embarrassment and something that like a phase he went through and then he was out of it and just better uh, never spoken of again. So I, you know, I'm a big Dylan fan and I've been sort of listening to his music and and wrestling with it in different ways for almost my entire life, not just my adult life, since I was kind of, I grew up in that kind of scene, even, even when I was a child. And this music to me, I've always been really into this music. And not just as music, because I think it's overlooked, the, the quality of the music is overlooked because of the content for, because of the, you know, just because of, of what a lot of Dylan fans are into. Mm-hmm. But not just the music, also the content. I'm not a Christian, and I'm, I'm a Jew, and I'm not a terribly religious Jew. But Religion and, you know, that whole thing is a thing for me. And the music is just, I find it incredibly powerful, even though a lot of the message is things that I I can't agree with. And so 
I've always had a, a relationship with this with this part of Dylan's music, even though it's something that 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 a lot of Dylan fans hate. So, in any case, they've finally gotten up to in this series. They've gotten up to that part of Dylan's music. They put together a box set. It's a whole big thing. I wrote a post about it. I said I loved it. It's amazing stuff. Blah 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 blah. And as part of that, they did a concert movie. They took footage that they had from those from from those concerts at the time i think like i think there was i think it was basically sort of a series of concerts 1979 1980 1981 so they put together this movie and that movie is going to debut uh, it's it's in the it's in the large version of the box set that I'm describing to you, but it's going to debut on Cinemax I think on February 26th. We're going to have the three people who put together the box set and this movie, and we're going to talk to them ab- about it, like what went into it. And it's it is a kind of a it's sort of a wild movie. They have uh, it it's it's Dylan singing and interspersed with an actor uh an actor uh, portraying a preacher delivering sermons so it's pretty wild stuff uh and and we're going to talk to them about what just how they came up with this idea how they put together the box set and also like what I try to get a, a bit of a sense of is what it's like working with Dylan because I, since I'm kind of a Dylan fanatic the Dylan world is clearly like you know, <laughs> it's sort of like a mob thing, right? Oh, it's a, everything's very protective. Uh, yeah, everything's like mm-hmm. omerta, right? Like sure. you don't, you don't, you don't talk about stuff. So it's really hard to get a get a handle on yeah. how that whole scene works. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's episode two. Then in our third episode, we're going to be talking to Chris Hayes, who I, my former might, colleague. Yeah, yeah, at, at at NBC, and everybody, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows who Chris Hayes yeah, is. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, uh, recently I've been going on Chris's show maybe once a week, once every other week, something like that. So you know about Chris's show. And w- one thing, uh, especially as, as we get into doing this podcast, one of the things that I want to ask Chris about is when you watch his show on MSNBC, you watch Rachel Maddow show, you watch any of these shows, they are very structured. It's not just like three or four people sitting there and kind of like shooting the shit and like talking, whatever. It's very structured. All right, you're going to go to Josh. You're going to ask him this question. Josh is going to have 60 seconds. And then if he goes longer than 60 seconds, someone's going to talk in his ear and tell him to shut up. So it's like very, very structured. And so I've wanted to, I want to ask Chris, like, what is that like? Because, you know, Mm -hmm. I think you just kind of have to do that for that kind of live TV, maybe. Before everything that happened, which I, you know, I don't know if we can even mention Charlie Rose anymore, but whatever Charlie Rose did yeah. um, in his in his uh, off camera, it was a certain kind of format, a little looser, a little mm-hmm. kind of little more give and take. But um, cable news isn't like that at all. So I've wanted to, I, I've I've wanted to get Chris, you know, outside of that context and a little more freewheeling mode of the Josh Marshall podcast to just ask him like what that's what that is like because that's not the that's not you know chris started out as i think the washington editor of the nation magazine yeah i think you're right so he didn't come up through kind of like traditional right 
you know, um, what, what's that? What's the what's the character in Anchorman? What's that? Oh, you know, Ron Burgundy. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't the, come up to like TV man. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't come right. up with like the Ron Burgundy. Right. Yeah, school he's of just like a, he's a reporter. I mean, yeah, yeah. reporter and, yeah. and 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 someone with a, you know kind of a progressive opinion right. journalist kind of thing. Yeah. So we're going to talk to him in the third episode. So it kind of gives you a sense of the kind of things that we are going to be talking about. And of course, we're going to talk a lot about politics and and the news of the moment. So like today, we're recording this episode on Tuesday, February 20th. So we're just coming off of Friday. We're kind of like yeah. Friday afternoon, Bob Mueller drops this indictment, mm-hmm. which at least to me kind of first thought, okay, he just like you know, indicted some Russian people. Right. Like, we knew they did some bad stuff, so right. whatever, whatever. Right. Didn't seem like the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. But then it came out, it's like a 40-page indictment, yeah. and it has, like, far more detail yeah. than we have ever known about any of these things. So it's been a, it's been a big, big deal, and so we are going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this horrific school shooting, uh, which... On the one hand, it, it's 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 awful because these th- they are just totally routine. Yeah, they're almost like cliches at this point. Um, I have, as I think all sorts of people are, really of the opinion that each new one, it, you know, nothing will change. We've yeah. sort of made a decision as a society; nothing will right. change. There does seem to be like a this one seems like a little different so yeah, far. Yeah, I've thought that too. Like I think the kids speaking out changes it maybe in some way i mean they're so you know outspoken and eloquent and just moving when you hear them i think we haven't had a school shooting like this where i guess the kids are mobilizing in a way you know they're on their way to tallahassee to meet with state officials and i don't know if that's what feels different or well i guess maybe part of it is you know these it's hard to talk about any of this without anywhere you step there's something horrible um, but what occurs to me, and, and uh, God, you know, I'd have to think back through the history of these, but obviously Newtown, was, these are yeah. like not toddlers, but little, little, little children kids, yeah. who can't, who can't have a public voice. Right. And, and these are high schoolers. Yeah. So that's that's a kids, little different. Yeah. Either of voting age or just on the cusp of, right. of being adults, essentially. Yeah. So, so that makes some difference. And, and they are obviously a a preformed community which is different from the thing in Las Vegas where it's just people people at the concert thousands of people drawn together who have no yeah who who no connection yeah yeah. who aren't a community going in and I it's I don't think we're gonna I don't think we're gonna know for a while quite what uh what the difference is and maybe I mean like these things happen so often and the response is so universally and always the same. I, I, I can't, it's a little hard for me to get out of under my pessimism because yeah. everything, everything in the, we have made a decision as a country that we are all responsible for. Even if you're like totally anti-gun, you're still responsible for it. We live in a, a constitutional republic. We we are all jointly responsible for the collective decisions that we make, and we have made a decision that the right to have a gun or any number of guns, a gun of any sort, at any time, anywhere, with any amount of ammunition, 
is the most important value. Yeah. And 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 that that's really just it. That right. that is the thing that matters more than anything else. And I, I I did a post a few days ago sort of going over that that the fact, you know, every time we have one of these uh you know, every time we have one of these massacres and not and we do nothing, it sends the message again that the gun is all powerful, not just in a kinetic sense right. of it can shoot you, but it is it is all powerful in American society and American right. political society. And I think that itself contributes to these massacres because you are sort of associating yourself with that with that with that total power. So we're gonna talk about that and uh, and unfortunately, although you know, maybe in some ways utterly predictably, the two the two stories actually come together it with the shooting and the yeah. and the Russia probe. If you saw this if you saw this tweet that the president did over the weekend. Yeah. So uh, President Trump over the weekend had this tweet where he basically said the FBI is spending so much time on the Russia hoax, they couldn't they couldn't prevent this massacre, which is just even for Trump, it, it boggles the mind. It's yeah. it's so profoundly awful, um, just just on twenty different levels. It, it, it's so bad, and they just we just had uh, Sarah Sanders press conference yeah. a few much minutes delayed, ago. Yeah. yeah, much delayed, <laughs> trying to like run out the run out the clock or something. And she, I've seen it presented as her trying to walk it back, but I didn't. I saw it more as kind of like a doubling down, just mm. saying, well, you know. What spend, he meant was, yeah. Well, yeah, spending a lot of time on the Russia hoax, you know, time uh, time is limited and blah, 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 blah. It, anyway, you know, there is uh, one thing I want to mention is over the weekend, there was an article published and then a few other people chimed in on it about people saying, well, you know, and these are sort of name journalists saying that they are skeptics about the Russia probe. And it's a funny thing because in a certain sense, I would include myself in that list because that what I think they are saying is they are skeptical that we will ever find a formal and explicit agreement between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin to cooperate on subverting the 2016 election or to make an explicit quid pro quo about if you if you help me win the election, I'll do this for you after the election. Um, I don't, you know, I have a bit of a hard time imagining we'll ever find that, that we'll ever get, like, yeah. taped evidence or something, or even, like, you know, really strong evidence that such a, a an explicit agreement took place. But... I think really that's that's not the point and 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 that is th- that's not how conspiracies work in most cases. Mm. They are it's often not so explicit. Yeah, yeah, they're often tacit. Um and so the the thing that comes to mind to me is and what what I keep thinking about in this whole story is the president, the now president and all of the top people working for him knew a good six months before the election that Russia was had a a big active plan to interfere with the election and try to get Donald Trump elected 
And how do we know he, he, knew, he knew this? Well, he knew this because there were meetings in Trump Tower where they basically said, we're trying to elect you. We're from the Russian government and we want to elect you president. They also have all of the news that all of us saw at the time in late summer, into the fall, all this stuff about Russian interference, blah, 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 blah. They saw that too. And the, the really key thing is that they were briefed. After Donald Trump got the Republican nomination, he started getting regular national security briefings. And we know that he was briefed on what was happening. A lot of the stuff that we are finding out now, he was briefed on then. So he knew this was happening. He continued making public promises to Vladimir Putin. He continued denying it was happening even though he knew it was happening for a million different reasons, and he continued to um, okay to authorize his top staffers to have clandestine meetings with Russian government officials, with Russian spies. So, you know, at a certain level, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, you're helping me, I'm going to help you. We never have to kind of right. quite say things out loud, but, right. like, we're all going to, this is all going to work out great for both of us. I don't think people think enough about that basic fact that he knew it was happening and knowing that this was happening whether or not there was ever a formal agreement he continued to say oh yeah jared you should talk to this you know you should talk to this guy mike flynn yeah you should talk to this guy great idea you mm -hmm. should uh maybe set up a secure back channel in the Russian embassy. You know, right. <laughs> you know, well, I don't know quite. And this is just the stuff that we know. Right. This isn't this isn't maybe other things that 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 Bob Mueller knows. Yeah. Anyway, the, the obviously I'm totally obsessed by this. And, and I, I'm particularly obsessed. Uh, concerned. That's a more a more thoughtful way to put it. I'm very concerned about. The endless goalpost moving that you actually have to have a sit down between right. Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin where where they where they discuss this. Yeah. Anyway, another thing I, I mentioned before that the the Russia probe and this horrific shooting actually came together in this in this tweet that we discussed before. But something else is happening with the shooting now. You've probably seen that what seems to me to be the first time this has happened that the not the direct victims but the victims in the sense of all the kids who were at that school who survived are coming forward now and saying enough enough of this why do you why do you do nothing and allow this to keep happening now what is starting is that a lot of right-wing talking heads some of them in the trump orbit some of them out in the sort of the conspiracy theory right, although whether there's much of a difference between those two things is highly debatable, they're attacking those kids. They're attacking these kids as, as being, I don't know, dupes for joy, whatever it is. Anyway, it's fine that I don't know because we have someone who, who, here who, who does know. Uh, Allegra Kirkland is one of our reporters here at, at uh, TPM, and she just uh, reported an article about this. So Allegra, what is the deal? Hey, everyone. First of all, nice to meet you all uh, remotely. <laughs> but yeah, so I just filed this piece on 
the sort of conspiracy mongering that's going on. Uh, and again, all of this is the time span is pretty concise. Like the shooting happened only last Wednesday and uh, particularly a certain handful of students have just been really vocal, you know, giving tons of press interviews, um, sort of just saying they want stronger in control. They're calling out President Trump by name. They're calling out specific members of Congress, the NRA, et cetera. And they've already organized this march that's going to be taking place in um, next month in D.C., uh, March for Our Lives, it's called, sort of raising awareness of this issue. And the students themselves have come under just really, really out there criticism from some sites, including like Gateway Pundit um, and these sort of spinoffs of that, True Pundit, all these sort of, you know, all the pundits. All the pundits. Right, right, no right, no right. one's heard of a lot of these sites, but they have surprising, you know, um, influence in this sort of cons- far-right conservative media world and among people like the president's son, who's sort of been liking a lot of these articles. Now, when, did, when did this start? Like, what, what did this start, like, Monday? Did it start, like, what day did this this part of this story get up and running? I would say I first noticed it on, like, Sunday, I believe. Um, this former... Republican congressman from Georgia is one of the people I wrote about, uh, sent out this tweet uh, basically after the, the rally in D.C. was announced saying, oh, yeah, like these kids could organize a march, a national march like this by themselves, like hashtag Soros, hashtag oh. Antifa. That's now, is, it, is this Jack, Jack Kingston? It is, Jack okay. Kingston, yeah. yeah. So former, I guess he retired two or three terms ago, something like mm-hmm. that. Right. Okay, so so that kind of is one of the first things. And, and I mean, you know, your average Twitter user has has you know this has been sort of percolating but like no one more sort of prominent people started talking about it sunday monday um and then what really like kicked things into overdrive is this one of the kids this guy david hogg who's 17 years old um sort of you know said very matter of factly in in an interview i one of my my father's a former uh retired fbi agent and that's how i knew it was gunfire when i you know the sounds went off um the day of and that admission of just a fact has been used against him as proof that you know he failed to tell his father who could have stopped the shooting and he you know basically it's, it's as josh mentioned earlier it's, it's using it's, it's just sort of creating now, these well first, i mean that. first of all that 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 you know now <laughs> at least in mainstream political discourse it used to be that would that would show he's like from an upstanding family Right, is you know, father's ex FBI. Yeah, right. But now it's like, oh, FBI, nice try, dude. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it, it tied to an anti American group. Great, right. great. So I, I thought it, Allegra, it was not just that he somehow, you know, didn't tell his dad or, you know, something like that, but also sort of like that the FBI connection means that this guy is going, the kid, that the dad is going to feed the kid anti Trump talking points. Ergo, the whole conversation is delig- You know, it, this guy's just a little, you know, mini version of the deep state. Yep, I think that that's part of what you know what they're trying to imply here. There's another sort of story about his mom had written some Facebook posts criticizing Trump and gone to CNN headquarters once. So now she's like an anti-Trump activist, and you know, I mean, it's. You know what it, r- it reminds me of is, is you know, you had during the election, you had the Khan family or the Khan couple. Um, and then you had that, I th- I, maybe I'm going to get her name right. I think it was Alicia Machado, Machado, 
the the woman who what was it that she had won the Miss Universe? What was yeah, the, she what was, was a former story? contestant, right? And then Trump attacked her, saying, "Look at her sex tape and whatever." Right, right. right. Yeah. Uh, and what? I, but I think it was that she was either a winner. Basically, back in the day, uh, she was a winner, but Trump decided she was too heavy. Right. And I mean, like you know, people can have all sorts of body weights, but even by the most traditional, I mean. She's a beauty contest model, like right. It, it, so this is kind of Trump's, Trump's nonsense, and and was sort of shaming her at the time, and then she came forward around the time of the convention, with this story about him, and as always happens with anybody who criticizes Trump, you know, after he sort of like, stews in his rage for, a couple days, he went on this tear, and he was, you know, and and yeah, okay, sex tear, which. It's fine yeah. if there is a sex tape, but there was no sex tape. Right. Whole kind of crazy thing. And I, I, I kind of, I, I just feel like it's only like a couple days before we see a, a tweet from the president, you know, attacking. What, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the FBI kid's name? Uh, David Hogg. David Hogg. Okay. And there's also, there's a Latina, wo- I mean, woman, girl. I mean, these are, you know, high school students that I know has gotten, has been, has, you know, been one of the two or three students who has gotten the most attention. I, I, I have not seen it yet, but I've had a ton of people say, you got to watch this speech she gives or something. What's the story with her? Yeah, so this student is named Emma Gonzalez. She's sort of another one of this little core, grew that, core crew that's been very outspoken um, to the media. And she gave this speech, I believe, Saturday or Sunday, sort of calling out the president, you know, by name. And then that became known as like you know the anti-trump speech heard around the world and right, right, so right. she has also been getting a lot of flack from these people and i mean the so the other sort of undercurrent to all of this it's it's either these students are being you know used as props by an, liberal anti-gun groups or just that the media themselves are, are taking advantage of these these kids who are in a vulnerable state and to try to get their own you know sort of anti-gun anti-trump message out um, when really it seems pretty clear, and, and the kids are sort of saying this back on social media, but which is sort of a new thing we haven't seen before um, with these mass shootings. No, we are we are saying this because we believe it, and we're pissed off, and we're scared for our lives, and you know this is a g- coming from a very genuine place. And I think that it's I don't know I kind of think it's a losing battle to go up against that because they're very sympathetic and very smart, you know, people who are capable of speaking for themselves. Yeah, I, I like I said I. I I'm still sort of stuck in my semi-stuck in in my pessimism about this because you know grieving parents of 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 a marine who lost his life I mean you think that's pretty yeah, pretty sure. hard to say anything to that Fair enough. and there's just <laughs> been so many of these examples but I it it's it's pretty tough to you know to attack these kids or to you know because what they really have is their very immediate experience you know most of us thank god have not been let alone not been shot but not been in one of these like there was a i saw I, i believe it was the washington post went back and did a a tabulation and they came up with since columbine 150,000 students have been involved in school shootings. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean 150,000 students have been shot or even injured, but, you know, those those 
those it's almost a cliche at this point the 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 video you always see of the kids being herded out of the schools with their hands up makes perfect sense they have to have their hands up you don't know if the shooter is going to try to come out with them or someone's going to pull a gun but you just see this and that's that is like fucking traumatic oh yeah right and i even even like for me as a parent thinking about it it's 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 horrifying so they have this very validating experience and i noticed just as we were coming over here to record i guess the president had a public event it was about a uh, Medal of Valor. Yeah, Medal of Valor, you know, sort of on, honoring a, uh, a veteran for some, some incident of, of particular valor. And he took the opportunity to endorse this ban on bump stocks. And these are the things that can, can basically convert a semi-automatic rifle to a machine gun. And, the, and that was, it wasn't used in the Florida shooting, but it was, it was used in the Las Vegas shooting. And I mean, in itself, it's sort of like, it, it, it's almost comically mini- minimal. Like, you know, can you put a ban on the thing that allows you to make your own machine gun? Yeah. Having said that, though, it's it tells me they don't feel like it is sufficient just to say we're not going to do anything. Right. So, so what? So, Allegra, you 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 are are inundated every day with constant cable news chatter. So what are what's your feeling about like what are, what have we seen today besides you know you, you have these these like horrific monsters attacking these 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 kids and then you have uh, President Trump seeming to you know make a very small move saying he'll support some kind of restriction. What else are we seeing? Do you get a feel for where this is going? just from the kind of the totality of all the media we're seeing? Does it seem different from, I mean, how many, I mean, I'll ask you this. There's got to be at least a half a dozen massacres that you and I and the rest of the TPM staff have covered since you've been here. Probably more. I mean, you've been here for almost three years? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I don't even want to think how many. I mean, it's just, it's constant. Mm -hmm. So from what you're seeing, does it seem different? Does it seem like anything's going on that's different from all the other cases? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think the difference, one major difference is just the immediacy of the reaction from the survivors because, you know, of course, there's always some, inter- like after Las Vegas, uh, for example, which was last fall, um, you know, there are m- interviews with the media, people just describing their sort of pain and their trauma or their loss, but but not immediately going like, I want to take action. I'm you are like holding specific lawmakers responsible and we're talking like four or five like four or five days out or something maybe six now i think i think just it's as we said earlier like the sort of victims are very sympathetic people they're young they're um you know sort of articulating their own message in a really effective way i think they're smart users of social media they're sort of responding to these pundits and congressmen in real time online and that reaction's getting picked up so i mean one thing one thing one thing david and i were talking about was that you have one thing about the las vegas massacre is even there was uh, i guess something around 50 people lost their lives yeah more than that that yeah maybe over 50 but that was by definition not a pre-existing community of people it was just a, a lot of strangers together to listen to a concert like mm-hmm. like every concert mm-hmm. is 
And here you have a school, so you have people who know each other, right? They know each other. They have a sense of their place. Their place was invaded. But again, you have pre-existing relationships. They're all there the next day and the day after that. That makes a difference. We also have, oh God, I don't, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even put together a list in my head of all the school shootings that we have had. But in this case, it is with kids who are old enough to be articulate in a sustained way on television. You know, an eight-year-old is can't serve this role, but a 16-year-old or a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old can. So maybe it's the combination of those two things that have, are part of the difference here. I think that's a good point. And then I think there's also just where it happened kind of matters here because it is, you know, it's a Broward County is a mostly liberal area. There's mm-hmm. It's just not a lot of these kids are liberals and they do sort yeah, of have yeah. take legitimate issue with you know the policies that that are the current current administration espouses and um you know i don't think that makes them anti-trump shells but it certainly you know gives them more impetus to it's talk a about good point. This it's stuff. an urban setting the, the 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 just the mores of of the gun debate are different in an in an urban setting um and I don't, you know, and I don't mean urban setting in a sort of a euphemistic way. I just mean in cities, city people in cities think about gun control on average differently than people in rural America. This is the basic division in American society. It's also just just from sort of looking at the students, as you'd expect in Broward County, for people who are teenagers, it's a fairly diverse group of people. So all of these things do come together i it's it's you know it also seemed like it was a given after the las vegas thing that at least the bump stock thing would get passed and of course it didn't right there seemed to be some unity on that paul ryan said he supported congress taking a look at it and then it kind of shifted from like a legislative congressional thing to oh the atf should look at regulations and not not new laws, but just the way that we're enforcing these things. Yeah, and then it kind of just faded all together. Yeah, I think that was the thing that, that the NRA, I think I, I think what was happening in the background there, the NRA was willing to say, okay, fine, but we don't want to do it as a law. Do it as an administ- you know, as a, as a regulatory ruling or something like that, that that's a little less threatening. And then, then it just didn't, you know, it just, just didn't happen. So, yeah, I... I still feel basically pessimistic, but we will, I guess we'll see. Any other thoughts on this, Allegra? When, from what you've seen, I mean, what is, I, I haven't, y- you've, I haven't been plugged into the news today. Is any, anything else big on this front happened today on the, on the, on the Florida front? No, I think we mostly covered it. Um, no, isn't, isn't there something in Tallahassee today? Like, I know there's a thing coming up in Washington, but they're in, like, Tallahassee today? Yeah, so um, several busloads of these students from um, the school in Parkland went up to Tallahassee today to meet with state legislatures, sort of make their case in person. Um, Now, okay, so let's totally shift gears now, because TPM is a small shop, so not only do you cover uh, the Florida mass shootings, but you're also on the the Russia beat for us. What, when... Am I right that when the when the indictments came out Friday, or you know, basically, I want to know is is was this just my blindness, or was this something that <laughs> that other people felt too? When I first heard that they that he had indicted a number of Russians who obviously are never going to step foot in American court, it's just kind of for the record. 
when that first happened, I kind of figured like, okay, we knew these people did stuff, so like, fine, he indicts them. Like, sort of not that big a deal as indictments go. And yet, when people actually looked inside the indictment, like, whoa, this thing's like 40 pages long. There's like tons of information. Was that your sense too? Did you have that? Did did you know it was a big deal as, as soon as it happened? Probably so. It was just. I me. mean, anytime Mueller does anything, it's yeah. kind of like drop everything. This is my. This is probably big news, right. and it was. I mean, no, you know, I think the most interesting thing about Friday um, is that it just sort of staked out definitively. Yes, the Russians meddled in the election. Like again, we've seen this, but just another really meticulously laid out, uh, you know, thirty-seven page indictment saying this is exactly how they interfered. Um, the, the indictment basically focused on their social media efforts and um, how they sort of, you know, created this army of bots and um, these fake Facebook pages, uh, target like focused on sort of really divisive issues like immigration or Black Lives Matter or whatever, um, and paid for advertising and and even which i think is the craziest thing orchestrated on the ground rallies in the united states from russia <laughs> okay so th- uh. this is the thing i i was thinking about this this weekend so there as you say there's a lot in the indictment that has to do with you know all right we're going to send you 500 bucks you make a lot of signs you know kind of coordinating these things talking to act us activists who apparently did not know that they that you know that the people that they weren't talking to were fellow activists when i when i thought back it it doesn't did did the indictment really get into how much these events happened like was there this march for trump in florida thing or is that kind of do we don't know exactly how much it came off our reporter sam tealman can speak more to that because he's focused more on the on the in-person um sort of events that happened but i think there were at least you know a handful of incidents where where it did sort of play out that way and for example i think this was in florida um they paid people you know a couple of u.s citizens to one to like dress up in a clinton sort of prison outfit and to build a cage on the back of their truck and drive it around and like that happened there are photographs that right reported and, in the and news. We, i think we even reported on it at the time mm-hmm. i like i don't know if we reported on it or just like i remember seeing that like Maybe I tweeted it, but I mean, it was a big enough thing because it was pretty arresting because yeah. it wasn't <laughs> just just for people listening. It was a cage on the back of a white pickup. And, and I don't know if it was on the pickup or maybe the, you know, social media meme that was going around. But it was basically like if you, you know, if you do any vote fraud, if anything is weird, we're going to come for you. So it was like. Not just like street theater having like Hillary in a prison uniform. It was like menacing, you know, kind of standard, standard uh, voter intimidation, voter suppression stuff. I mean, one thing I'm really interested in, and I don't know how much, I don't know how much, or whether there is enough in the indictment for reporters to go back through and find these people. But there's clearly a lot of American citizens yeah. who worked with these people. Right. And it, as a criminal matter, if they didn't know, then they're just dupes and they're not they're not, you know, criminally responsible. But you'd think you'd you'd I you know, I kinda like to know who these people were. And are they gonna come forward? And probably not. That's pretty embarrassing. But have we has anything come up on that? I think there has been some some report some efforts to sort of contact these people. I think um Made up in Daily Beast or BuzzFeed. Okay. Made contact with with one of the sort of because because I, I felt like in a few of the 
in a few of the kind of indictment vignettes, there was enough information there about, you know, local, you know, county Trump chairman, some, enough information that if you, that, that good reporters kind of work through it and figure out who the people were and, and, and maybe make contact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of side sidetracking off that point, um, another interesting thing was uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein came out on Friday and sort of gave a press conference and the takeaway line, particularly to Trump and his supporters was, you know, no American citizen will, was a willing participant in any of this sort of, you know, spreading false information and all of that stuff. Because um, Rosenstein sort of has has not tried to be a very public figure in all of this. He's already come under tons of attacks um, by the president and others. So it was interesting to sort of see him stand with Mueller, sort of express support for the conclusions he's reached. Um, and also very, very noticeably saying, like, no American was a willing participant. No collusion. No collusion. No obstruction. And that's that's <laughs> where that went. Of course. Well, you know, it's funny because I I remember when I saw that, and I think I kind of I missed this when I when I saw that and when I heard what he was saying. Because did he did he himself say the thing about no evidence that affected the election? I think that was someone else characterizing what he said. Am I am I right? I, d- I don't believe yeah, he I don't specifically think, said yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think he, I think it was maybe, maybe the White House later said he said that or something like that. But what jumped out to me was just the, what seemed to be trying to sanitize it as much as possible not to make Trump sad <laughs> or, ma- you know, or mad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what David Kurtz said, and I think he's right on this, that the the visual of having... Rosenstein standing up there with Mueller, announcing it, like completely giving it his imprimatur, mm-hmm. mattered far more than the sort of the, you know, spin he put on it. Um, and so that was, I, I think I was, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't sufficiently attuned to what he did there as a defense of, of Mueller and a defense of the investigation um which and i i think that's a i i think i think that's a pretty big pretty big deal because i don't think we have they even announced these other indictments no the, like the, the first DOJ time has even, not really yeah, like they just kind of like shows up in pacer and mm-hmm. then everybody goes nuts or something yeah. like that interesting all right david so how have we we're coming to the to the end of the first episode of the josh marshall podcast feel like okay so far so good yeah so far so good all right well like i said we have we have um those two episodes our dylan episode coming up another episode with chris hayes and uh, again the 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 we have done our part here we're sitting in the brand new tpm podcast studio We, we we we've you know we've we've talked we've speculated we've laughed and all this stuff your part is you have to subscribe. You have to subscribe to the Josh Marshall podcast. And especially if you like it, you have to rate us on iTunes. Now, this is not five stars. That is what's that? Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Okay. That part is important. Yeah, it's totally important. And, and the key is this isn't just like my ego, which is important, but is not relevant in this case. If you do that, it helps us get out the word about this podcast 
And the more we get out the word, the more the bigger an audience we can get, and just the more resources we can put into it, and 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 the better it'll be. So that is really uh, a big favor if you if you can take a moment and do that. And thank you so much for listening to our first episode. I like her. Thanks for coming. Stop by soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye, people. Bye.